If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 217 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Taylor Kendall and Duncan Cox, who are, respectively, the Chief Strategy Advisor and the Community Director for Learning Economy. Learning Economy is, as their website puts it, a U.S.-based nonprofit organization with a global mission to accelerate the world toward 21st century education and workplace infrastructures, address inequity with student and employee-centric models, and connect the fragmented ecosystem of stakeholders into a unified hub of innovation. That's a big mission and certainly the basis for a very interesting discussion. But before we turn to that discussion, we want to once again highlight one of the many resources we offer beyond the weekly podcast. One we'd like to be sure to mention frequently is our Leading Learning newsletter. Through the newsletter, we send out our monthly Leading Links series, which features carefully curated links to valuable resources for your learning business. We also send out a monthly podcast digest, as well as notifications for our free webinars and other educational events that we host. If you want a regular source of fuel to help keep your learning business moving forward, this is it. Just go to leadinglearning.com newsletter to sign up, and we'll be sure to include a link to that in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at leadinglearning.com episode 217. Now, Jeff, you had the pleasure of talking with Taylor and Duncan. What did the three of you discuss? Well, as you suggested, Learning Economy, the organization where Taylor and Duncan work, has an ambitious mission. So I wanted to be sure to get details on how exactly the organization goes about pursuing that mission and achieving the vision associated with it. A key part of the discussion is blockchain, the technology that allows for capturing and tracking digital data in a very secure and decentralized way. And, you know, blockchain has popped up here and there in our conversations on leading learning, but I think this is the first time we've had guests with a really focused vision for using blockchain to transform education. And the idea is to establish a protocol, basically an open education graph, that can bring together education data from all of the many sources of education with which any individual learner interacts, and then create an economy in which students are rewarded for learning and teachers are paid for teaching. Now, I'm, I'm definitely oversimplifying there and not really doing the vision justice. You definitely need to listen to the conversation to get the full picture. Now, as we talk, Taylor and Duncan provide details about what implementing this protocol looks like, practically speaking, and how it helps against what they describe as four arch enemies. And we also get a glimpse into a pilot that Learning Economy is currently running in the state of Colorado, and, and that's going to provide a concrete point of reference for implementing the protocol more broadly. Well, that's great that there is a significant pilot underway, and it sounds like the Learning Economy folks are committed to experimenting and learning themselves. And now to help our listeners with their learning, what reflection questions do you suggest for this episode? And as a reminder, listeners, you can find the reflection questions in the show notes available at leadinglearning.com slash episode 217. So as you listen in, try to think in as much detail as you can about what the practical implications of something like 
the learning economy protocol would be if you were able to, or even had to, treat your learners as part of a larger connected ecosystem, one in which both learners and teachers can be fairly and efficiently rewarded for their efforts, what would that change for your learning business? Hmm, Well, that's a big question and one that learning businesses may have to answer sooner than they think. So let's go ahead and roll the interview with Taylor Kendall and Duncan Cox. Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by Taylor Kendall and Duncan Cox of Learning Economy. And we're going to find out more about exactly what Learning Economy is in just a minute. But for now, I'll note that Taylor is Learning Economy's Chief Strategy Advisor and also describes himself as an educator, writer, designer, improviser, community developer, and techno-philosopher. Duncan is Community Director for Learning Economy, and he's also a contributing editor for Diplomatic Courier and has been a filmmaker in numerous countries across the globe. These are obviously two creative guys with big ideas, so I'm looking forward to a really interesting conversation. But first things first, Taylor, Duncan, welcome to Leading Learning. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Well, it's great to connect with you guys and uh, get a sense of, of what you're doing. Um, I've spent some time on, on your website, and um, I'm, I'm starting to figure it out, I think. But for my sake and also for the, the sake of our listeners, can, can you explain a bit more about what Learning Economy is and, and what you do there? Sure, sure. Uh, and yeah, I, I can't explain what Learning Economy is without looking to our origin. Uh, about two years ago, uh, in the mountains of Switzerland, during the height of the crypto bubble, our founders asked, how can we make blockchain a tool for good? And this was their vision. What if we could find a way to pay refugees to acquire a new language or reward a learner displaced by the rising tide of automation for reskilling? What if there was a way to create an economy that comes around the whole of education where students are rewarded for learning, teachers are rewarded for teaching, and all of this added value is captured in a decentralized ledger. So we can truly understand education to solve some of the world's toughest challenges. Uh, And that leads us to today, uh, where learning economy is really made up of three pieces. An information layer, which is an open source ledger for storing student records and badging a value layer, which can quantify the impact of each stakeholder on the life of a learner, and an application layer, which are mobile-friendly ways to interact with this information and value layer. Uh, The first, a learn library, is a learning management system and a work group and research hub. And the learn bank is a universal portfolio for students and employees to record their progress and earn equity in their own education. And so... From what I understand, um, blockchain is, is really at the the core of this. It was, you know, what uh, popped up there on, on the the mountaintop, um, and, and thinking about how that could fit into and and really um, helped, I guess, to kind of bind this whole learning economy concept together. Now, we've talked about blockchain before on the podcast. I think listeners are, you know, probably somewhat familiar with it, but I, my sense is that uh, well, I know this has been true for me. Um, and, you know, I've wrestled with really understanding what blockchain actually is. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about, you know, what blockchain is at, at sort of the high level and then, you know, why it's the approach to, to doing what you're doing? Yeah, I can, I can jump on that one. And 
since there is some some familiarity and and it's it's nice as as we move here it's it seems to be uh sort of both gaining popularity but also uh the sort of just broader understanding around where it is and isn't applicable seems to be moving as well so uh i'll kind of give a high level of of what the technology is and then and then how it applies to that's what we're working on at learning economy uh so uh, from the highest level i mean a, a blockchain really is just a record of of chronological transactions uh so you know much like a traditional financial ledger uh with with each new set of transactions which which represents these blocks being being recorded and uh, cryptographically linked to the previous record so that creates a really really powerful uh chain that, that actually uh has some really interesting characteristics uh and and basically ensure ensure a number of things It ensures integrity. Uh, so uh, that linking cryptographic linking basically makes uh, this, this chain of information nearly impossible uh, to sort of tamper with. Uh, there's a transparency element. I, it's also really interesting that, that a number of these sort of open public uh, blockchain ledgers are, are sort of uh, peer driven and network driven. And so, and so everyone sort of has the same view and, and copy of, of this information. Um, and, and, you know, I, th- I think ultimately uh, the the sort of trust that gets built into uh, a system and and utilizing technology like blockchain allows allows that to happen just a really new and novel way that uh, that prior to to Bitcoin just was never the was never possible. Uh, you know, trust was was really fallible and then between humans and and now we're uh, looking at new methods of of actually baking trust directly into into protocols and into into. Uh, digital system. So when it comes to learning economy, I mean, you know, there, there's no, there's no real way to uh, unify around a single protocol that's, that sits at sort of a state or nation level with, with as much information and as many stakeholders are that, you know, that make up that, uh, that system. There, there's really no way to, uh, to allow information to flow in a trustless uh, sort of capacity without utilizing uh, something like, like uh, blockchain, and and I'd say, you know, blockchains are sort of a single element of of other technology that allows some of this to happen. But um, it really does introduce a a pretty amazing new means of of sort of transferring and ensuring trust across a disparate system uh, of of information and stakeholders. Uh, things like credentialing um, certainly is a is a big part of uh, you know why this has power. Uh, Identity systems. Uh, there's a new movement towards towards self sovereign identity and, and being able to uh, provide sort of power and and, uh, and and real control back to individual individual students or, or users. Um, and then other other sort of elements we're looking at with governance and, and voting and uh, you know even even tokenized uh, micro micro markets. So Duncan sort of touched on this idea that that ultimately we can really look at building you know, entire economies that, that really are based on, on the value of learning itself. Um, and, and through, through, through utilizing some of this new technology around cryptocurrency and blockchain, we're actually, you know, starting to get to the point of, of being able to realistically explore, like what, what would an earn to learn sort of model really look like where, uh, you know, as opposed to taking on, you know, life ending debt in many ways for many students, uh, you can actually look at, uh, you know, providing value back to learners and back to users, uh, just for for the mere act of of gaining a, a good education, and, and so I'm assuming that uh, you know your your average user, your average learner um, who's part of this doesn't really have to understand uh, the you know the the blockchain uh, that, that's 
holding it all together, um, or blockchain as a concept that's holding it all together. Um, but they're obviously going to benefit from the fact that uh, their learning records are being captured and, and stored in, in a certain way. I mean, can can you walk us through, uh, myself and, and listeners, um, kind of practically speaking, what what does that look like for a learner who's you know, participating in, in the learning economy, you know, using, using the learning economy. You talked about, you know, uh, learning to earn. I mean, let's say I'm somebody who's finishing up college, heading out uh, in, into my career. What's different now that, that learning, learning economy exists and, and the, the technologies that, that you're talking about exist? Uh, how does that actually play out, practically speaking, for somebody? You know, am I, am I carrying an an app along with me and, and, and capturing everything I'm doing? Am I, I then share that with employers? Um, what, what's that look like? Yeah. So, uh, from a high level, uh, consumer user perspective, uh, behavior actually doesn't really change a whole lot. Uh, as, as a learner, maybe a recent college grad, I have a college degree and I'm looking to reskill or maybe, uh, add some technical skills to my portfolio. Well, with a, you know, blockchain based, app for measuring and tracking your learning progress and the different courses that you take, you could take your course, just like you would have without this app, the course is measured and your progress is measured. And you can go out into the world and with a sort of universal uh, credentialing system that a blockchain could empower, you could take it to any employer, any university, any measurement system for educational attainment and be able to frictionlessly prove that you have this particular knowledge or that you've taken this particular course. So think of it less as changing how your uh, behavior looks and changing what you do with education and more what education can, uh, I guess, more what education can do for you and getting more out of your education. If you're looking for a platform that will help your learners get more out of their education, check out our sponsor for this quarter. Community Brands provides a suite of cloud-based software for organizations to engage and grow relationships with the individuals they serve, including association management software, learning management software, job board software, and event management software. Community Brands' award-winning Crowd Wisdom Learning Platform is among the world's best LMSs for corporate extended enterprise and is a leading LMS for association-driven professional education programs. Award-winning Freestone, Community Brands' live event learning platform, is a leading platform for live learning event capture, webinars, webcasts, and on-demand streaming. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash communitybrands. And now back to the interview as Jeff asked Taylor and Duncan about the concept of the open education graph. And somewhere buried in this, um, or integral to all of this, is, is uh, the concept of an open education graph. Uh, I know this is something you you talk about, write about on on your website, um, and it and it feels akin to I know you know Facebook has its open graph, a uh, open graph. I shouldn't use the word graph with Facebook, I guess. Um, uh, but they've got the open graph uh, concept, which um, you know I think uh, as Facebook has grown and evolved in the ways that it has, has um, maybe become a little bit um, scary that uh, that data being out there um, for use by Facebook and advertisers and that sort of thing. Can you talk a little bit more about what the open edu- education graph is, and and are there any of those kinds of concerns around you know data and privacy that that go with it, or or does blockchain take care of all of that? I can I can I can say that that uh, 
sort of blockchain never takes care of everything. <laughs> and that's, that's a, that's a, a danger right now is, is that you, you hear this a lot that, that blockchain is this, this hammer that's just in constant search of nails. Right. Mm. Um, and it, it certainly, you know, has a place and, uh, but it's, but it's not the end all be all. And it certainly can't stand alone in, in making some of this work. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think your, your mention of, of just sort of proprietary sort of data hungry tools and, and, and Facebook and others have come under the, uh, under the public eye, uh, for good reason, I think. And, and, you know, what we're trying to build really is an open protocol. And, uh, you know, I think history now, now I'm, I'll go down a little rabbit hole here, but then we'll come back. Uh, you know, I, th- I really think history is going to favor those who embrace open source, open innovation, open governance models, you know, open data standards, uh, and just collaboration on a broader level. So, you know, proprietary tools that, that extract and, and profit from u- user data, uh, I think will continue to fade and, and really don't have uh, much value in, in this sort of new learning economy that, that we ultimately envision. So, um, as far as sort of this open open graph or or sort of high level uh, visualization and, and ledger we're we're talking about, um, I think I think the the goal really is to be able to provide you know a visualization of the value being generated across this sort of entire you know we like to say you know supply chain or value chain of education and and we often don't speak of it that way but but ultimately that really is what you know education is it it really truly is a uh, a supply chain and it's not it's not linear there's obviously uh you know forks in the road but but ultimately you have you really do have this sort of uh graph across an entire ecosystem which is you know some research that ultimately uh you know gets adopted by by certain institutions that you know that that ultimately drives uh curriculum and and certain pedagogies that develop within that institution um that institution teaches students through learning management systems or other other mechanisms uh those you know, those, those students ultimately go on to get credentials or, or a degree ultimately, and, and, you know, all the way to employment raises, uh, promotions all the way, all the way through. So, so you really do have a supply chain. And so the, the idea behind this sort of open graph is, uh, sort of at the, at the state level. So I'm, I'm, uh, focused in Colorado where we're about to launch, uh, this project where we're really going to start actualizing some of what this looks like. Uh, and, and basically with that graph, you, you would, uh, you know, with other partners, uh, groups like Credential Engine, who are doing really interesting work in in sort of uh, pulling together all uh, credentials, and and uh, they just released a report that there's something like forty thousand, I think, or four hundred thousand plus, you know, credentials and, and degrees across the country, which is just insane. But um, being able to sort of uh, build in open protocols that allow those credentials to sit in a single repository, uh, and then build APIs and and means of of accessing that open information. Uh, utilizing again blockchain technology. Uh, uh, we're, we're utilizing uh, currently IBM and Hyperledger and what they provide, uh, and and sort of aggregating that data. Um, and and given that students can sort of again this idea of, of having a sort of student owned universal passport, um, this this sort of wallet or passport that they that they have and that that crosses. Uh, you know, cross cuts a number of learning opportunities, whether it be a traditional path through a university or, or community college system or, or anything else or boot camps or, you know, my online work that, that uh, we might watch some YouTube videos, you know, uh, that, that provide some education. So um, all of that can kind of get quantified across this supply chain of education. 
And when, when we start to build all that information into a single sort of uh, uh, education graph that's, that's, uh, that's sort of shared and understood by uh, certain groups of stakeholders, you can start to really quantify and understand where value is being generated, uh, again, across that entire chain I mentioned. So uh, using, using other technology like machine learning, we can actually start to look back like what research ultimately on the front end of that entire supply chain, you know, led to actual quantifiable skills that, that led to, uh, you know, benefits to, to society broadly. So I, th- I think you can really start to do some amazing things once you can start to sort of unify that entire chain um, and understand where value, you know, may or may not be, be created. And, and right now we just have no way of doing that. Everything's completely fragmented and, and, you know, there's these silos. So that's, that's the idea. And, and so just to put this out there as a, a concrete example to, to see if I'm thinking about this right, the right way. Um, for example, in the world of um, uh, medical education, um, I mean, both at the you know, degree academic level, but then in the world of continuing medical education, there, there's often a question of whether it really has any impact or, or not. So that meaning that, you know, if doctors are continually engaging in continue, continuing medical education, you know, getting their CME credits that, that they have to get, um, that's fine. You know, they can, they can prove they've done that. They can get their, their credit and everything, and hopefully it's doing some good. But does it actually move the dial for, for patients? You know, is, is it changing the, 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 the state of patient care, actually positively impacting, you know, the, the end users of uh, healthcare services? Now, would, would something like an open education graph, as it's accumulated data over time, contribute to, uh, you know, understanding whether continuing medical, medical education is actually improving patient outcomes. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Duncan. I was, I was going to say the one piece I'll layer in is that one of our sort of key driving research questions is, can you quantify the value of education? And if you can, should you? So I think you're, you're, you're exactly right, but go ahead, Duncan. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you know, if, if we can quantify the value of education, uh, our hope with learning economy is not only Will we be able to, uh, you know, find the intended patient outcome? So does a particular continuing medical education course lead to an intended outcome, but also be able to understand and discover other unintended outcomes, whether mm-hmm. positive or negative, of individual courses? Yeah, that, that's, that's great. I think that, uh, um, that we've, we've had some discussions before on, on the show about unintended consequences or unanticipated consequences uh, of education and, and being able to have more visibility into that could, uh, could certainly be very valuable. Um, and, and I think we're starting to get uh, now at um, basically the why uh, of what you're doing. Um, you know, uh, blockchain and the technologies that are out there um, make this uh, possible. So it seems like a big opportunity. Um, but there are very good reasons to, to be doing this. You know, one we just uh, talked about getting those, uh, being able to track those sorts of outcomes. Um, you also talk though about uh, what you refer to as your four arch enemies uh, on the site. Uh, and these are, I guess, kind of the, the big issues that you're really trying to uh, address um, with, you know, the, 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 the protocols and the actual technologies that you're developing. And um, we've, alluded to them here and there throughout the conversation, but I think it'd be nice to, to actually touch on them directly. So, you know, you talk about the skills gap, you talk about centralization and the, and the problems that that's created in stifling innovation. You talk about confusion, you talk about inequality. Um, could, we, could we walk through each one of these and, and, and get you to, to flesh those out a little bit? So, so skills gap, um, that's probably the one that's going to be most familiar to listeners, but, um, you know, how does what you're doing address the skills gap? Absolutely. Uh, 
so the skills gap. In today, we're using uh, 19th century tools in 20th century classrooms to teach 21st century skills. Clearly, there is an enormous gap in between the skills that we're learning and we're teaching in classrooms, in, in uh, various education programs across the world, and the skills that are needed to take us in future solve some of the world's biggest problems. One of the key uh, reasons for that is a lack of understanding of why that gap exists, what skills are needed, what skills will be needed 10, 20, 30 years from now. And we hope that through an open education graph, we can uh, understand what that, that difference is and where that gap comes from and how we can fill it. Yeah, and I'd, I'd add that, that just the, you know, that, that gap is only going to grow. The, the trouble is that as we see technology sort of exponentially uh, move away from, from traditional systems of education, uh, it just gets harder and harder to envision, you know, being able to keep up with, with that pace of change. Um, and so I think there just needs to be more real-time data and, and, and more sort of real-time in the moment reactionary sorts of mechanisms uh, to allow, you know, those that really are in the, in the business of, of education and, and with a true interest in providing important skills and, and knowledge to students, uh, you know, just need to be able to uh, understand, you know, what the skills of tomorrow are in a more uh, flexible and adaptive way. Uh, otherwise, again, that, I just don't see us tightening that, that gap. It'll only continue to grow. So that's the skills gap. And then um, centralization, you, you've identified it as a, a, an enemy. Why, why is centralization uh, such an issue? Yeah. So as Taylor mentioned earlier, uh, you know, these, these Facebooks and Googles and Amazons of the world uh, control a lot of data. The problem with that is, is data is, is powerful. You know, it's not a fix-all. It can't fix all of the problems in the world, but it can help us understand a, a lot of what's happening. Um, we have the data out there. The problem is, is that it's controlled in these silos. Uh, it should be used as, as fuel for the greater good, to fuel for understanding so we can work together and coordinate to solve the world's biggest challenges. Uh, if you look at the sustainable uh, development goals, some of these challenges are enormous, seemingly insurmountable. And if we don't gather together a lot of our, our collective knowledge, especially within education, then I, I have a feeling that it'll be really difficult to overcome some of these, these global challenges. And then I guess blockchain is really, because of how it works as a technology, um, does tend to decentralize things. But, um, but then you identify um, confusion as being one of the arch enemies. And I think that's primarily as it relates to blockchain. Is that correct? I'd say that's, that's, you know, obviously sort of in the, in the modern zeitgeist as being something that, that is largely sort of misunderstood. Uh, but I think, I think just trying to, you know, as, as we do the work that, that uh, will ultimately be needed to, uh, to, to sort of push this idea of, of learning economy forward, I think, uh, you know, we're also in the game of education. I think there's just a lot of uh, confusion around both the technology that ultimately, uh, you know, sort of uh, sits at the base of, of how some of this might be possible, uh, but also just uh, confusion around, like, what's the regulatory landscape right now? Uh, I mean, that's a global problem. Um, and and uh, I think just uh, being able to have means of com uh, effectively communicating among among disparate groups, there's a lot of sort of singular tracks there's there's a lot of great things happening but they're sort of moving in parallel but not cross not cross communicating so uh the the fear is that there's also just a lot of confusion around you know how do we get from point a to b and it felt like you were on the same track but 
uh, you know, but we never sort of had a means of, of sharing how this was evolving. Uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think uh, under confusion really is just a need to also have a focus on education so that, uh, so that again, there's, there's not sort of this centralized, uh, just like there's centralized data right now, we don't want sort of a centralized uh, pool of knowledge um, and, and folks feeling separated from the technology and some of what ultimately uh, sits underneath a lot of this. So, yeah, I think it's, it's confusion around blockchain, but it's, but it's uh, also just providing education to, to minimize confusion across the entire, the entire ecosystem. Right, right. Uh, definitely a lot, a lot is evolving very, very fast right now. Um, and I think folks are uh, struggling at times to make sense of it. Um, the, the last one, the fourth one that, that you mentioned out of these uh, sort of arch enemies um, is one I'm re- really very interested in is uh, inequality. Um, and, uh, well, t- talk a little bit about, uh, you know, why you identify uh, inequality as an arch enemy and, and what learning economy is, is doing to address that. Yeah. So um, one of the, the big challenges with education is uh, inequality across the board. There's discrimination in school acceptance. There's discrimination in hiring. There's discrimination, um, and not just discrimination, but, you know, favoring of certain people, individuals from certain backgrounds over others. What we hope to do with learning economy um, is to really understand and measure the skills that actually exist. So instead of getting into a certain school or getting a certain job or a promotion based on, um, you know, your, your background or your gender or your race, uh, it's based on your actual true merit and your skills. And we believe that this sort of uh, transparency about your real abilities uh, is, or lack of transparency about your real abilities is the root of inequality within the education system and within hiring in the workforce as well. And so, you know, these are all kind of big problems, obviously, skills gap, centralization, confusion, uh, inequality, um, you know, and I, you've obviously got a, a big vision and, and are ambitious uh, as, a, as a company, as an organization, but I'm assuming, you know, learning, learning economy alone cannot, uh, cannot tackle all of this. And it seems to be central to what you're doing, that this does require uh, collaboration across, you know, multiple parts of um, the world of education, the world of work, uh, of, you know, commercial providers, nonprofit providers. What is the collaborative environment around this right now? You know, who do, who do you collaborate with? Um, what's what's kind of ultimately going to make this vision that you have as, as learning economy a success? Yeah. Duncan, you want to maybe start at sort of the higher global level and then I'll, I'll talk about what's happening in in Colorado specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So really next steps for learning economy are unifying all the stakeholders in education. Uh, And, you know, that's not an exaggeration. We want to bring in everyone, um, universities, NGOs, nonprofits, entire nations together to kind of understand what's happening in the world of education. Uh, And with this open education graph, we hope we will be able to do that. So in a non-proprietary way, bringing in all these different standards, right? Different educational standards, different credentialing standards uh, together in in creating a sort of interoperability uh, so that we can really understand what's happening in the world and everyone can all work together to solve this grand problem of education. Uh, you know, we've got partners in, uh, you know, universities, again, in NGOs and in for-profit and non-profit companies that are all working hard together to figure out ways that we can 
unite and collaborate. And I'll, I'll also preface by saying I'm, uh, Learning Economy really is a nonprofit uh, with a, an interest in uh, you know, creating a protocol that becomes a, a common good, a, a public good. Uh, so so I, I think that's just critical to know that like the interest is not in building this singular piece of technology that, that uh, you know, we ultimately control. It's the hope is, uh, is to, again, yes, align, align this sort of disparate ecosystem of, of stakeholders into a, a unified effort. And so uh, practically speaking, I, I'll give a quick rundown of, of uh, what we're working towards in Colorado. Uh, and, and I think this will give a little more, a uh, little more practicality to how this is going to get kicked off. So uh, on about, about six months ago, we uh, had a number of discussions and ultimately came into agreement with the Colorado Department of Higher Education that we'd like to explore this future together. And so uh, through that partnership, we uh, are, are just about to launch the uh, C-Lab, Colorado Education Work Lab. Uh, the kickoff for that will be January 30th uh, in Denver. So for those that may be out west, uh, keep an eye out or, or um, feel free to get in touch. Uh, to be a part of that effort. Um, and, and that convening is going to be, uh, you know, exactly as you described, a bringing together of, of all sort of the players that are a part of this, this evolving ecosystem, uh, you know, whether it be other nonprofits and NGOs, uh, you know, other human capital investors, uh, universities for sure, you know, as well as, uh, you know, employers and, and folks looking at how do they uh, transition and, and uh, you know, look to, Look to sort of quantify, uh, you know, their hiring process in different ways. Um, bringing all those those stakeholders together uh, and and really ultimately envisioning a unified but decentralized ecosystem uh, for uh, for really really three major things. So uh, over the first six months of this pro uh, process, we're uh, going to do a whole lot of research and just really uh, bringing together these these groups into. Uh, into sort of research research focused work groups where we can really understand the entire ecosystem, uh, and then from there work towards uh, tangible pilots. So uh, once we understand like where the where the change in, and value can ultimately be found, uh, building in very tangible pilots that might be, uh, for example, a you know university uh, partnering with a an employer, uh, and and understanding like how could we really envision a mobile credential. Uh, that doesn't necessarily have the singular degree as the be-all end-all, um, but allows flexibility and allows students to, to acquire uh, skills and knowledge uh, both at the university and elsewhere, and ultimately, you know, work towards employment opportunities. So uh, very tangible pilots. And then, uh, you know, ultimately accelerating the, the entire state towards a 21st century education and work infrastructure. And, and uh, the, the hope sort of over the course of about three years is that this, uh, sort of biodome as we're looking at it in Colorado uh, leads to an implementation report that that really lays out how this is possible. And you know, over, over the course of a few years, I, I you know, we're not uh, we're not assuming that that the entire infrastructure of a state is going to be rebuilt and recreated. I, I think that's that's naive to assume that would be the case. But I think coming to a place of of having a, an understanding of, among a, a large group of stakeholders and and also uh, you know publishing a really powerful implementation report that other states, nations uh, could, could potentially look to uh, as a means of, of getting this sort of work started. So that's sort of the roadmap of, of what's happening in Colorado. And it's, it's exciting. It's all, all kicking off uh, Q1, end of January next year. 
Well, I love the fact that you have a, a pilot like that um, about to launch, um, you know, that you'll be able to really see what happens and, as you said, uh, produce an implementation report out of that. I, I suspect that probably most people listening um, grasp the, the, the overall vision um, of what's possible, um, you know, using technologies like blockchain, using these uh, different uh, uh, visions of what education can be, but a lot of people struggle with, you know, how do you, how do you make that concrete? Um, how do you actually implement that, and wh- what does that look like so that we can start modeling it? So it sounds like that is something that um, uh, we can look forward to, to having access to in, in the, the coming year or so. Um, so hopefully um, this type of vision can be embraced more broadly. Now, we're, we're about to, at the end of our time here uh, together, and, um, you know, obviously... Everything that the two of you do at, at Learning Economy is, is focused, well, on, on learning, obviously, and, uh, and on education and, um, and really doing that uh, throughout life. And that's, you know, that's what's going to be um, empowered by the types of protocols and technologies you're talking about. So I do want to make sure that uh, before we sign off, I ask you uh, kind of our signature question about, about your own personal learning, about your own uh, lifelong learning. Um, and so I'll ask each of you to respond to um, what is one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education? And, and um, Duncan, I'll, I'll bounce that ball to you first. Yeah. Uh, so my answer to this question is a, is a, a bit of a, a meta question, a meta learning. Mm-hmm. I was a teacher for an adult uh, English as a second language class. I was a lead teacher for this class and uh, it unified uh, learners all levels of ability. I had a 17 year old high school students who would come after school to the ESL class and, you know, 80 year old business owners who were trying to pick up English as a second language as a bit of a hobby. Uh, These people would often work together. So I I remember walking into my class one day and the 17 year old student was teaching the, the, you know, 80 year old retiree how to, use a particular grammar point in English uh, and the, the confidence that she was uh, displaying when she was teaching and, you know, the, the level of, of trust that this older learner was uh, giving to this younger learner really helped me understand that everyone is a teacher. Everyone. Uh, you can teach tons of different things to tons of different people. This younger learner was learning how to teach and getting a better grasp of the material through teaching someone else. This older learner was uh, learning from a younger person, uh, you know, treating them as another knowledge resource, but also building that relationship and connection with someone else. Uh, it, was, it was just a really powerful experience. I, I taught that for about a year, uh, and it was amazing what I learned about how people learn and how I could apply that to my own life. Mm. Well, thanks. thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that sounds like a fantastic experience. Taylor, how about you? Yeah, I, I think... Uh, Although a very sort of different experience, uh, there's a ton of overlap with just this idea that that I think we can all uh, we, we can all kind of both become teachers and learners, um, and I think in to to do that it really takes sort of uh, this this child's mindset, um, and so so the experience I would lean on uh, about a year ago I. I uh, finished and, and was part of the 85th graduating class of a local school of improv. Uh, and it was one of the most remarkable experiences. Uh, it's, it was about a, just, just under three years, the entire process. Um, 
and I think that's really what I came away with is, uh, you know, everyone has something to bring to the table and, and this certainly is true in education. And so I think, I think it helped me realize that in a traditional education setting, there's this really interesting power dynamic, uh, that, you know, to no one's fault has been set up, you know, just by sort of centuries of legacy, um, and, and working through, this entire curriculum of, of improv and, you know, improv is so much more than, than comedy, although you do get ridiculous and have a ton of fun and laugh hysterically. Uh, you also just learn about like what it means to navigate with a group and what the dynamics are and how we can all be learners and teachers in sort of every moment. Um, you know, they say there's, there's a quote that, that one mark on a canvas determines where the next one will go. Um, and I think, I think our approach at learning economy is, Yes, we have big visions, but it takes that first mark on the canvas to know that that we should all, you know, take that next step. And and taking a bold step, um, you know, isn't something we should we should sort of frown upon. And, and turning the teaching over to the student in many cases uh, can be can be just that empowering for for them as well. So I think just you know, sort of leveling the dynamic that that education uh, provides is is something I. You know, I, I utilize improv every day. It's, it's not hyperbolic to say that I actually really do lean on it every day of my life. Um, so it's, it was a really powerful experience. And anybody that it has an interest or has the chance, like you, you don't have to innately think that you're a, a comedian. It's, it's really life changing. Um, so would, would recommend it to anybody interested. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I, I love improv and uh, think it, uh, it can just be so powerful um, as, a, uh, as an approach uh, to learning. So thanks, thanks for sharing that. Um, th- thanks to, to both of you for, for taking the, the time for the conversation today. Um, as we're wrapping up here, can you let folks know where they can find out more about learning economy and potentially connect with each of you? Absolutely. Uh, so if you want to learn more about Learning Economy, you can visit our website at learningeconomy.io. If you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email. It's just duncan at learningeconomy.io or sign up for any of our uh, email lists on the website. Yeah, and same, same goes, uh, taylor at learningeconomy.io uh, and also fairly active on Twitter uh, at Taken Design, T-A-Y-K-E-N Design. Uh, happy to chat with folks there as well. But yeah, really appreciate the time. This has been fun. Yeah, it's been great. Well, great. Well, thanks so much to, to each of you for being a guest on Leading Learning. That concludes the interview with Taylor Kendall and Duncan Cox. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 217. And the show notes will include the reflection questions. What are the practical implications of something like the learning economy protocol? If you were able to, or if you had to, treat your learners as part of a larger connected ecosystem, one in which both learners and teachers can be fairly and efficiently rewarded for their efforts, what would that change for your learning business? When you check out those show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe. It helps us get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We would also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. Jeff and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but more importantly, reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And we'd be grateful if you'd check out our sponsor for this quarter. Find out more about community brands at leadinglearning.com slash community brands. 
Finally, consider following us and sharing the good word about Leading Learning. You can find us on Twitter by going to leadinglearning.com slash Twitter, on Facebook at leadinglearning.com slash Facebook, and on LinkedIn at leadinglearning.com slash LinkedIn. We also encourage you to use the hashtag Leading Learning on each of those channels. Wherever and however you do it, please do follow us and help spread the word about Leading Learning. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. 